Well, good morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Drew McCullough, and I have the honor of serving as the family pastor here at High Point Church. And I'm so happy to be gathering with you, worshiping with you this morning. If you're a guest with us, I'm so happy uh, that you're here with us this morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead, open it up to Psalm chapter 27. Uh, We are going to be continuing our series that we've been in over the past few weeks, uh, a psalm, a mixtape for your life, volume two. Uh, volume two, because a few years ago, we also walked through the Psalms, same series. There's 150 of them. Um, I love how we call it a mixtape because it's full of prayers and songs that a whole bunch of different uh, authors wrote. And if you're under 30, you literally may not even know what a mixtape is. Um, but I'm over 30, so I do. Uh, but uh, I absolutely love the Psalms. Uh, most of, a lot of the verses that I've memorized over the years come from the book of Psalms. I love the book of Psalms because it is so, uh, so rich, so real, so raw. Um, I think Pastor Ronnie Stevens, who was with us last week, I think he said this, that uh, Tim Keller says of the book of Psalms that it covers the whole wide range, whole spectrum of emotions. You got sorrow and you got joy. You have praise and you have frustrations. It's all over the place. And uh, I, I read a book on suffering about a year ago. And in that book, uh, the writer was talking about how you might hear people talk about Christianity and talk about the God of the Bible and, and talk about the Bible itself and say, you know what? Christianity, the Bible, like it just kind of dismisses emotion. It just kind of says struggles aren't real. It's, just, it's all about just knowledge. You're just kind of he- ahead and you're supposed to be robotic. It dismisses emotions. It dismisses sorrow. Uh, but the writer goes on to say, uh, anyone who says that obviously didn't read the book of Psalms because it is filled with brokenness. It's filled with humility. It's filled with anger, frustration, sorrow, joy. It's so raw and it's so real. And that's actually what we get here in Psalm chapter 27. And I didn't actually get to sit uh, through uh, the music in the first service. Uh, So I just want to, I got to do that this service. And I just want to say, I am so thankful for Tyler and the rest of the gather team who uh, went through by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, chose the songs that we are singing this morning because it sets our hearts up perfectly for Psalm 27. Um, In this Psalm, the Lord teaches us through David that if you know him, if you seek him, if you trust in him, that he enables you to be able to face anything. He he enables you to uh, change, have a different perspective. He teaches us that a fear of him overshadows a fear of our circumstances. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through Psalm chapter 27 and then we're gonna step back and look at the whole thing and say, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for me? So first, if you can, please stand for the reading of God's word in Psalm chapter 27. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my light In my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high above or upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted high above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. 
you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my mother and father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for the false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we open up your word this morning, God, I pray that you open the eyes of our heart to see your beauty and to see your goodness here in the land of the living. God, I pray that as my mouth opens, that it not be my words, my agenda, but God be yours. Help me to decrease and you all the more increase. I pray that in Christ's name, amen. You can grab a seat. So as I said, this is a Psalm of David, uh, but we don't know exactly when David wrote this. Uh, A lot of people believe that this was written somewhere between uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, which is when uh, Samuel, the priest, the prophet of God, went and anointed David as the next king after Saul, uh, somewhere between then and 2 Samuel chapter 2. Because 2 Samuel chapter 2, that's when David actually takes the throne and he becomes the next king of Israel. And uh, we believe that that's when it's written because in that time frame, that is when uh, David killed Goliath by the power of the Lord. He was appointed uh, to be a commander in in Saul's army, in the army of Israel. And he became a, a great military leader. And he won many battles, conquered many enemies. And through all of that, because of all of that, Saul became extremely jealous because he knew that the favor of God was with David. He knew that David was anointed as the next king, which meant that uh, Saul's lineage of kingship was done for right? Because it's supposed to go to the son, right? The next born, the firstborn son. Saul knew it's with David. Uh Uh-uh. It's supposed to go to my son. It's supposed to stay in my family. And then he, because of David's victories and he was this mighty uh, military leader, he became really popular. He was popular among the men in the army. He was popular among the people in Israel. And Saul didn't like that. He says, I'm the king. You're supposed to love me. And so Saul wanted David dead. He puts a hit out on David's head, sends uh, uh, people like search parties to go and literally hunt, to murder David. And so David has to go into exile. He has to go on the run, go into hiding. And in the middle of all that, he writes this Psalm of Psalm 27. And it's crazy because when you look at it, in the middle of all that, he comes out in verse one, like guns ablazing, full of confidence. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? In the midst of literally some of the worst circumstances you can imagine, he's literally being hunted by the most powerful man in Israel. In the middle of that, David says, whom shall I be afraid? Whom shall I fear? And then he says in verse three, he says, an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though a war arise against me, I will be confident. That seems a little crazy, right? Put yourself in his shoes. That seems a little, woo. There's a fine line, David, between confidence and stupidity, right? But David was not being crazy and out of his mind here. He wasn't uh, disillusioned. David had a completely different perspective. His confidence was not in himself. He's not thinking, hey, I killed Goliath. 
Bring on Saul. Bring on his army. I'll kill them all. He wasn't thinking, I'm better at hiding than they are seeking. His confidence was not in himself. What does he say? The Lord is my light, my salvation, my stronghold. Therefore, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? And I love the words he uses. He says first, he says light, which is, is kind of a, a metaphor for a lot of different things in scripture. But, but here, what he's talking about is in the middle of darkness, the fear of darkness. The Lord is the one who steps in and dispels the darkness. Because light and darkness, they cannot coexist, right? They cannot coexist in the exact same area. I don't know if you uh, were afraid of the dark as a kid. Uh, maybe uh, you have a child. I see someone shaking their head like, yeah, I was. Uh, maybe you have a child who's afraid of the dark. What do you do when you have a child who's afraid of the dark? You leave the, the, the doorway open a little bit so that, that light seeps in. You put a night light in there. Why? Because when the light comes in, darkness can't be there. When light enters in, darkness is gone. And so what David is saying by saying the Lord is my light, he's saying that in the middle of darkness, in the middle of the unknown of the shadows, like what he says in, in Psalm 23, the, the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because the light of the Lord is with me. He lights it up. He exposes the unknown. Nothing to fear. And then he says, God is my salvation, meaning uh, deliverance. So not only is God my light that dispels the darkness, but he actually delivers us out of it. And then he says, uh, stronghold, which is, is a term to talk about refuge, a safe place. So God dispels the darkness, delivers us out of it, but then he delivers us to a safe place in himself. And John Stott, he was talking about this and, and he, he said, David is essentially saying this. Here's how he put it. He said, the Lord is my light to guide me, my salvation to deliver me, and the stronghold of my life in whom I take refuge. Beautiful words from David. But there is one key word here that truly gives David his strength and confidence. Anybody wanna guess what it is? You can feedback, it's okay. Nine o'clock said nothing. <laughs> Anybody wanna take a guess? Right there, he said, for the people in the back. He said, my my says it three times because it is one thing to say that God is light God is salvation God is stronghold but it is a very 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 different thing to say God is my light he is my salvation he is my stronghold Charles Spurgeon was talking about this in his commentary and he what he said was a blind man might know a lot about the light of the sun, might study it in school, get whatever degree you get that you study the sun. You hear people talking about how bright the sun is, don't stare at it, it blinds you, kind of like this light right here, stare at it. Might know a lot about it, but the light of the sun does nothing for a blind man. It's not his light. In the same way, what David is saying is this isn't just a theoretical statement that he's making that oh God is he's saying God is my it's something I know it's something I experience it's something I feel God is my salvation my light my stronghold see he doesn't close his eyes to his circumstances here he's not ignoring them he's not pretending that they don't exist what he's doing is he's seeing them through a completely different perspective He's seeing them through a different lens. He's looking at his circumstances through a lens of his faith in the Lord, through the lens of who God is, because he knows that the fear of God overshadows the fear of circumstances. Not to quote Charles Spurgeon again, but uh, uh, literally on Instagram on Friday, I saw this quote. He did not put it on there. He's dead. Someone else shared it. 
and I saw it, but it fit in perfectly with this. The quote is, it is a blessed thing when the darkness below gives us an eye to the light above. It is a blessed thing when we see the valley of the shadow of death, when we see the chaos, when we see the struggles, and it give us an eye to the light above. It's like that song that we sing above the storm. In that song, it's talking about how when the storm is coming, we see the storm cloud, we see the rain, we see the lightning, we hear the thunder. But what do we know? That through that storm cloud, the sun is still shining. Through that storm cloud, he still reigns. And in the exact same way, what David is doing is he's looking through his circumstances, through his enemies, and he's seeing the goodness of God. He's seeing the beauty of God. He's seeing God's sovereignty. He sees the good God, the light, the salvation, the stronghold. His perspective is shifting. He knew that no matter what happens, the Lord is still sitting on his throne. No matter what happens, the Lord still anointed him, his king, him king. He knew that, whom shall I fear? He's put, me on a, he's put me on the throne. He was all he needed. And that's what he says in verse four, which is kind of like the crux of this whole psalm here. Verse four says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now commentators here disagree. They're not really sure exactly what David meant here. Uh, some believe that he was just kind of talking metaphorically about fellowship with God. God, I just, I just wanna be in your presence. I just wanna have fellowship with you. But then others believe that he was, he was talking about literally the, the physical tabernacle right? The physical, he was in exile. He wanted to be back in the presence of God in the tabernacle. And, and we know, and David knew that, that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit next week because we're going to look at Psalm 139 that talks about that. But David knew that, but in the Old Testament to the Hebrew people, there was some, a, a special experience of God's presence and his holiness and his beauty and his goodness, his grace there in the tabernacle of the Lord. But honestly, in my opinion, whichever one he meant, I think the point's the exact same. The one thing I want, the one thing I need, God is you. And one Hebrew commentator uh, mentioned that, that that part of that verse, the first few words, that the phrasing used there, the grammar used there is incredibly, incredibly intense, like a singularity of purpose. It's like David is saying, you God, the, the one thing, the only thing, the one and only thing. Like if you were writing an email, you would all caps, bold, underline that. He was emphasizing, God, you are the one and only thing that I ask for, that I seek after. Now think about that for a second. Some of the hardest circumstances that you can think of, being in exile, being hunted, wanting to be, he was be, being, they wanted to murder him. And he says, the one thing I want and seek is you. He, his one thing is not victory. It's not safety. His one thing is not some miracle. His one thing is not, please kill Saul. He says, my one thing is you. It's fellowship with you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to be in your presence. I want to love you more because if I have you, then I have everything I need. Everything I need. And that's why he says in this, the next few phrases, he says, I want to gaze at the beauty of the Lord. When you gaze at something, he's saying, I don't, I don't want my, to take my eyes off of you. I want to 
to put my soul focus on you, O God, in your beauty. He says, I want to inquire of you, which means to consider, to seek. He says, I wanted to consider you, God. And we get a sense of David's like deepest affections, like his actual hearts here. The one thing, I want to gaze at your beauty. David wasn't just saying, God, I want to know more about you, which of course he did. He said, God, I want to know you intimately. I want to abide in you. He doesn't just want something from God. He literally, he wants God himself. He says, I want to gaze at your beauty. I remember uh, almost two years ago now when our baby girl, Colby Grace, was born. And uh, I remember being there in the hospital room and, uh, you know, years of infertility and God gives us this gift of Colby Grace. And uh, we have a picture of it and not here in my phone. And... uh, I remember Brittany holding her and we're just both in tears, which takes me a lot to tear up, but we were both in tears, grinning ear to ear. And we're just, we're just staring at our beautiful girl. We are just in awe of her. Can't get enough of her. And we still can't, right? Like we, we love just to sit at home and watch her run around and chase our dogs as they, you know, tear up our house. She tries to grab their tail. We love to see her just play with her toys because she walks around with random, like, shoes and stuff and acting like she's on the phone. She loves the pool, and she'll laugh because she just likes splashing. We just love to look at her. Why? Because we love her. We can't get enough of her. We are just in awe of our baby girl. And to a much, much, much greater extent, that is what David is saying here. Is God, I want to just gaze at your beauty because you, Lord, are the most beautiful thing. I want to just soak it up. I want to be in your presence. I don't want it to stop. He literally says, I want to dwell there. It doesn't literally mean living there. I just want, God, I just want to be in your presence. I don't ever want it to stop. I want to know you, experience you. Because what David is saying is when, when we gaze, when I gaze at the beauty of the Lord, when I see his goodness, when I, when I seek him, when he is my one thing, it changes how I see everything else. When I gaze at his beauty, it changes how I glance at my circumstances. Because a fear of God overshadows a fear of our circumstances. And then in verse seven, the psalm psalm kind of shifts. He goes from talking about God and then he's talking straight to God. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face, which that sounds weird, but seeking someone's face, it's talking about fellowship. It's talking about favor. Lord, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not away your servant in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Now, at first glance here, you might read that and say, whoa, David, what happened? You were just so confident, so secure. Now you're saying things like, oh God, please listen to me. Please answer me. Please don't hide. Please don't turn me away. Don't cast me off. But isn't that the realness of this psalm? Like if you or I were to write a psalm, because I'm sure we've been there where like you know something to be so true and you hold on to it and you, you, you are so confident in it, but then you open your eyes and you look around and you just see darkness and you see chaos and you see injustice and you see suffering But David, what he's doing is he's doing exactly what he just said in verse four. He says, the one thing I ask of the Lord. He knew that the Lord was his light, his salvation, his stronghold, but he also knew how unworthy of it he is. He knew that that was only true because of grace. 
He knew it. He knew that it was only possible for him to see the face of God if God, by an act of grace, revealed it to him. If God, by an act of grace, invited him to see it. See, this isn't a prayer of, God, of, of David freaking out. It's not a prayer of him forgetting what he just said. This is a prayer of unworthiness and humility. This is a prayer for grace and mercy. It's a prayer of faith. He goes from a proclamation of faith in the first few verses. Now he's just in this huge prayer of faith. And even in the middle of this prayer, we see the, the beauty of the grace of God. Because in verse eight, he, he basically says that the Lord invites him to seek his face. As unworthy as I am, I don't deserve an invitation to seek your face, God. God says, seek my face. He speaks to his heart and says, seek my face. And God is not in the business of inviting us to seek his face and then turning us away when we do. It's an act of grace. And then in verse nine, he says, don't cast me off or forsake me. And the word, the phrasing there actually gives a sense of letting go of something or releasing something. But in that same way, to let go of something, what does that mean? just like nine o'clock service. <laughs> to let go of something means you have to have a hold of something. So David here is saying, God is unworthy and undeserving as I am. You, only by grace, only by your mercy, you have invited me to seek your face. You have shown me your beauty. You have awakened my heart to seek you and oh God, I am and God, you have a hold of me. I know that. God, please just don't let go. Hold on to me. These weren't a reflection of unbelief. These words are a reflection of faith, of hope in the Lord. And then David makes this profound statement in verse 10. He says, for my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, this is one of those verses that as you study and look at it a little bit closer, uh, you realize how bad the English translation is here. Uh, because as, if you look at the Hebrew, which I'm no Hebrew scholar, praise the Lord for Hebrew scholars. But if you look at the Hebrew, what, what he's actually saying, he's not saying, uh, for they have forsaken me, but the Lord has taken me in, like it's happened in the past. What he's actually saying there is, is kind of, uh, it's like a, situa like a relative situation as in, even if, even when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will still take me in. Even if my father and mother, my parents, the ones who have loved me, cared for me, protected me, provided for me my whole life, even if they turn their back on me, God, you will not. Even if they forsake me, I will not fear. Why? Because the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my stronghold. Whom shall I fear? Because God, if I gaze at your beauty, I have everything I need. You're the one thing I need. And actually in the, in the Old Testament, in the culture in the Old Testament, uh, for a parent to forsake, to turn away their child, it actually, uh, it wasn't because they were so family centric in that culture, they didn't just like push them away for no reason. For the most part, the majority of the times that happened, the child will do something so egregious, so terrible that the parent disowns them. And so here, it wasn't even just that David was saying, even if my father and mother just decide to turn their back on me, He's also saying, God, even if I do something so egregious worthy of my father and mother forsaking me, you will not. Because you are a merciful, gracious God. He knew that the Lord was faithful. And one commentator, James Boyce, he, he mentioned when he was talking about this that one of the things that we long for most in this life is to be accepted. We desire acceptance. The problem is, 
we live in a world of rejection. And we see it, we experience it almost every single day. Right? Like parent rejects child, child rejects parent, spouse rejects spouse, friend rejects friend, stranger rejects stranger, boss rejects employee. A world of rejection that we live in. But even as David prayed this prayer, wrote this psalm, he knew that in a world of rejection, the Lord, as an act of grace, would not reject him. He knew that the love of God is more steady, more secure than even the most, the closest human bond that we can think of. He says, my mother and father, but your love is more steady than even that. And then he goes on. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So he spends four verses talking about the intimacy of God, the grace of God, and then he shifts his focus to his circumstances. You see that order there? Eyes first go up, then they go out. And Tim Keller did a sermon on Psalm 27, and he did it in the middle of a series about the Lord's Prayer. And what he said at this part was he said, even in the Lord's prayer, we do in our prayers get to, God, please give me my daily bread. Protect me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. But we only get to that point when we first say, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, David's perspective, he doesn't first go to his circumstances like so often we first see our circumstances. He gazes above and then glances down. He knows fear of the Lord overshadows fear of circumstances. His focus is first on the Lord. And he says, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies which reminds me of uh, Psalm 86 that we actually did in volume one of the series. Uh, it's actually verse 11 of that. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And in the same way, what he's saying here is, uh, God, don't lead me on my, my way. Don't give me my way. Don't lead me on my path. God, lead me on yours. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when he says level there, you might think it's like, hey, level everybody, knock them all down, give me the easy path. But what he's saying, level, it means steady and secure. It means upright. Meaning God, as I walk down your path, hold me secure, hold me level. And then he ends this prayer saying, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I'm not really sure what he meant by that because it, just like in the other verse, uh, people kind of aren't really sure. They kind of say to a few different things. Uh, some people like Charles Spurgeon, he believes that what David is saying is, he's talking about heaven. And I don't, I don't know if he's joking when he said this, but what he said was where we are right now, it's really more the land of the dead, right? Because of sin, Suffering is still here. Because of sin, death is still here. We have people in hospital beds. We have people in, in cemeteries. We have grave sites. He says, but, but in heaven, it's the land of the living. There is only life. There is only joy. The very presence of God. No tears, no suffering. But then on the other hand, some say, no, David is speaking specifically here about the land of the living, his life. God, I am sure I will look on the goodness of the Lord here in the land of the living in my life. I'm not sure which one he, went, he meant, but whichever one it is, they're both true, right? 
If he's talking about heaven, it is absolutely true. And we are literally gazing on the beauty, seeing his goodness for eternity. And on the other hand, no matter here on earth what our circumstances look like, no matter how they end up, whether they end up how we think they should, no matter what they end up uh, how we want them to, it doesn't change the goodness of God. It doesn't change. God is always good. It doesn't change his beauty. It's like we said, that, that song, the, the storm. The storm doesn't change, the sun's shining. He's raining still. David was looking at the Lord. He was saying the, these words of hope in the midst of his circumstances. He was confident in God's sovereignty and in his grace, his goodness. I would look at the goodness of God. No matter what my circumstances look like, I will see your goodness, God. And then in this last verse, the psalm shifts again. He goes from proclamation to prayer, and now he goes back to proclamation. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And when David says, wait for the Lord, he doesn't mean like, hey, wait for the Lord. Kick back, relax. Lord, let me know when you show up. Let me know when you pop in. Let me know when you're ready. I'm waiting. He's not like telling us to take a seat in the waiting room. Wait here isn't a, a passive waiting. It's, a, it's an active waiting. It literally means to look eagerly for. So what David is saying is seek the Lord, gaze at his beauty, trust in him, and then your heart will be filled with courage. And I actually, I didn't even notice this until last night when I was reading through this, how he says, let your heart take courage. As you gaze upon the beauty of God, as you gaze on his goodness, as you look at the sun, as you look up first, the fear of God overshadows the fear of our circumstances. Let your heart take courage. It's when you, when you gaze on his beauty, it's just a natural response when you seek him. He's not, he's not saying, hey, go be courageous, be strong, muster it up. He says, uh-uh, seek the Lord, gaze at his beauty and let your heart take courage. And I think as he wrote this last verse, he was doing two things. I think on one hand, he was preaching to himself. He was urging himself, David, wait for the Lord. Let your heart take courage, David. But I also think that as he wrote it, he had in mind all of the people of God that would read this psalm, pray this psalm, sing this song, and encouraging them, encouraging us to wait for the Lord. That confidence in the middle of your circumstances is only found in the Lord. Your fear of your circumstances is only conquered through a greater fear of the Lord. So that's Psalm 27. And it's beautiful, it's comforting, and it's also incredibly convicting. Like some of those bold things that he just said, that's convicting. Now we, I cannot personally put myself exactly in David's shoes. I have never been, uh, my enemies, my adversaries have never been uh, out to assail me uh, or to, as he says, eat my flesh. Never happened to me. I've never had an army coming after me. I've never been on the run because someone literally wants to murder me. Never lived that life. I, I can imagine that most of you are in the same boat. We may not be able to put ourselves in exactly David's shoes here, but I know that every single one of us can imagine the worst thing, the thing that you fear most in this life. Maybe it's something you've already gone through. Maybe it's something that you haven't gone through, but you just fear it. It could be losing your job, financial struggles, 
It could be losing a loved one. It could be having your child turn away from you. It could be your spouse turning away from you. It could be losing your greatest friendships, being stabbed in the back. We all have a greatest fear. And I want you to think of that thing that you fear most, whether you've already gone through it or not. Think of that thing and be honest with yourself. Ask yourself, would you have the confidence to say, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Armies encamp against me. Whom shall I be afraid? It's a hard question, isn't it? Whom shall I fear? I read somewhere the other day, I don't remember where, I can't give them credit, but I read this this person was writing about fear and they said that fear actually serves a pretty good purpose in our lives. Because what fear does our, our thing that we fear most, it shows us what we desire most. In other words, fear reveals what our one thing is. Because we all have a one thing. Every single one of us has something that defines, that we let define our life. If I have that, if I don't lose this, then I'll be fulfilled. If I'm treated this way, if I'm looked at this way, then my life is whole. Uh, Paul Tripp, I found out the other day, if you know me, I'm a big Paul Tripp fan. Um, I found out the other day, he wrote a 52-day devotional on this psalm. And I haven't read it yet. Don't read that fast. Um, But I read an article that he wrote about the book. And in that article, He's talking about this. He's talking about the one thing, saying that we all have a one thing. And he lists out like 20 different things. And he says, what is your one thing? Is it power? Life only has meaning. I only have worth. If I have power, influence over others. Is it approval? Is it comfort? Is it your image, the way you look? Is it dependence? If I have someone who's taking care of me that makes me feel safe, then I'm truly safe. Is it independence, having no obligations or responsibility? Is it work, being productive? Is it achievement? Is it materialism or money or or things? Is it religion? If I go to church twice a month, if I read my Bible this much, if I pray this much, if I go to that serve thing every now and then, then I'm good then I know that I'm okay and I'm accepted. Is it irreligion? Is it an individual person? If I have that person in my life and they love me, then I don't need anything else. Then I'm good. Then I can be happy. Is it your family that you seek after? Everything in the world, the thing that you desire most is, I I mean, I just wanna keep my family intact. I'm going to do everything to try to control it. There's a bunch I didn't write down, but we all have a one thing. The thing that defines our life, the thing that we seek after and desire more than anything else in the world. The thing that we let be our filter, that we see our situations and circumstances, the thing that we let filter how we see our relationships, how we see our own lives. We all have a one thing. And the question is, what is your one thing? What is your one thing that you run after day in and day out? And you say, I have to have that. Because if I have this or I don't lose that, then I am satisfied. Then I have enough. Then I have what I need. And the problem is, is when our one thing is all these different things that I just read or some other thing, we can do nothing but fear because we are not sovereign. You can try to hold on to a relationship as much as you want to. 
but you're not sovereign. If all of those things are our one thing that we run after, that we chase after, that we live for above everything else, we will do nothing but fear. See, David here, he was only able to say, whom shall I fear? Because his one thing, the one thing he desired, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing that do I seek is to be in the presence of the Lord, to know him, to gaze at his beauty. See, David had an incredible perspective, but he had this perspective with limited knowledge, with limited knowledge. He looked to the physical tabernacle as the, the representation of God's presence, his holiness, his beauty, his goodness. It's all he knew. It's, it's why God gave the Israelites the tabernacle. He says, I want to dwell with my people. And so David looked to the tabernacle and says, I want to be in your presence. But the good news for us, church, is that we have more complete knowledge. We don't have to look to a physical tent, a tabernacle. We look to a different place to seek the beauty of the Lord because hundreds of years after David wrote this psalm, the Lord that was his light, his salvation, his stronghold came and lived among us in human flesh in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It says in John chapter one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth that word dwelt literally means tabernacle it means that the very presence of God the very glory of God came and tabernacled amongst his people dwelt lived amongst his people but it's not in a tent made of, of building materials this time. It was in a tent made of flesh. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And, and while he was here, Jesus said this in John chapter eight. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The same Lord that David said is his light, his salvation came and tabernacled amongst his people and said, I am the light of life. I am the light that comes in and dispels all your darkness. I am the one who is your deliverer, your salvation. I am the one who is your stronghold that delivers you to, I am your only refuge. I am the only one who can be your covering. Where in, in Romans chapter eight, it says, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. He is our covering. To gaze at the beauty of the Lord, we don't have to look at a physical tabernacle. Because in Hebrews chapter one, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprints of his, nat his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the hand of the majesty on high. God said, if you want to seek my face, if you want to gaze at my beauty, look no place further except in the face of my son, Jesus Christ. He says, you wanna see my goodness? You wanna see my love? You want me to be your salvation and your light and your stronghold? Look at the face of Jesus Christ. Because even though he was completely innocent, innocent among men, innocent before God, unlike David, Jesus willingly gave himself up into the hands of his adversaries. They brought false witnesses against him. Though he was innocent, they declared him guilty. They beat him, they hung him on a cross and there on the cross, the God the Father did forsake the Son. On the cross, 
His cry was not heard. On the cross, he was turned away in anger. But guess what? It wasn't in anger towards him. It was in anger towards our sin. Because on the cross, he took the wrath of God that you and I deserve because of our sin. He took it on himself so you and I never have to be turned away in anger. He was forsaken so that we can be taken in and hear the beautiful words of Hebrews, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. His cry was not heard so that our cry of salvation in the name of Jesus can be heard. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He was cast off so that you and I never have to be let go of because if we are in Christ, he says, no one will ever pluck me from, pluck you from my hand. Not only will I never let go of you, no one can ever unclench my fist as I hold on to you. And not only that, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead so that you and I can gaze on his beauty can see his goodness, can be in his presence and dwell with him so that he can dwell through the power of his spirit within us, not just amongst us, but within us. And then for eternity, being in his presence, gazing at his beauty. That is the incredible news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is, there is nothing more secure, nothing more sure, nothing more satisfying than gazing at the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work for you. See, Psalm 27 in the gospel, they echo the exact same message. That the love that God has for you in Christ will enable you to face anything. Whom shall I fear? Because his love for you is the only thing that you need. His love for you is enough. It is the all satisfying one thing. It's like Paul, what he says in Romans chapter eight. He says, if God is for us in Christ, who can be against us? Can anyone separate us from the love of God for us in Christ? Life, death, angels, powers, height, depth, things happening, things to come, anything? No, nothing can separate us from the perfect love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Whom shall I fear? His perfect love for you in Christ cast out all fear because the greatest fear that you and I have as unworthy, undeserving sinners is to stand before a perfect, holy God. That's what we truly should fear. But only by the covering of Jesus' blood, his finished work, can we stand before that God and receive salvation and mercy and grace the only way that we can see his face is if he by grace reveals it to us and he does that in Christ Jesus. Gaze at my beauty, he says. If you're here today and you feel like you're being swallowed up by fear and by circumstances, I want you to know that God does not dismiss those. Just like in the psalm, how, how real and raw they are, God knows your, your, your emotions. God knows your circumstances, and he cares for you. He cares for you so much that he sent Christ to be forsaken, so you never do. You never have to be. You never have to be cast off. In Christ, you have everything that you need. Everything that you need. He is enough for you. He is your one thing. Seek after him in faithful prayer. Open his word and gaze at his beauty. 
gaze at the beauty of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more beautiful, nothing more satisfying. It's how you can say something as crazy as even if my father and mother, even if the ones I hold most dear forsake me, God, you never will. Gaze at the beauty of Christ. He is your light, your salvation, your stronghold. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is both convicting yet comforting. Convicting because of our unworthiness, but comforting because of your good grace, oh God. God, I know that in this room, watching from church at home, there is a lot of storms, a lot of sorrows, a lot of the worst thing I can imagine. But God, I am so thankful that above the storm, you're reigning still. God, I thank you that you invite us through a beautiful, gracious, merciful invitation to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you open our hearts, awaken our hearts to seek your face. Our light, our salvation, our stronghold. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Happy Sunday. We are so glad you are joining us. My name is Caitlin McKay. And I'm Whitney Clay. <laughs> we love how our names rhyme. Yes, it's a rhyming match. Um, and we're just so glad that you uh, joined us here today. We've got Stephen who's moderating. So um, drop a line, say hey, uh, mention where you're from. Yes. We have friends from all over joining us this yeah, morning. Yeah, we have some people from Vermont. Yes, Utah. Hello. Randy's watching from Atlanta. Hey, Randy. Hey, Randy. Randy. Hey, Calandria. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Church at Home family all over the United States, all over the world, too. Yes, all over the world. Um, So we're really excited you're here. We are continuing in our series on the Psalms, um, and it has just been um, really powerful and just, I don't know, I've loved it. I loved, or I've loved so far how there's just been so much raw emotion, Mm -hmm. um, just so many things that you can relate with, and yeah, I just love, I just love the Psalms. What about you? What have you liked? I am just, like, I love it every time we visit it, and I think Drew said it best like that we can just sit in this like series sit in this book of scripture Mm. because it reveals all of these emotions that we all have and so it's really easy for us to read it and identify it and be like I know how David felt like I feel that same way so it's really really good and I just love today being able to dive into Psalms 27 Mm -hmm. um, which I felt like was so so good and so timely so important for us as so many of us um, deal with fear and anxiety and so it was just a really good reminder about our perspective shift and how David was so focused on the Lord that it put everything else in perspective. Yeah. That's something I fail to do. Right. Continuously. (laughs) Right. Yes. So we might not be hunted physically, right? But there's just so many other things in our world that um, have the ability to distract us um, and take place of who should be on the throne of our heart. So yeah, uh, I loved it. And we talked about um, the verse, the first verse starting Mm -hmm. off, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Mm. And Drew put it so So well, because he said the one word that stuck out there as it's mentioning all these different characteristics of God is that word, my mine and how David knew the Lord. Like he knew intimately who he was trusting in. And I thought that was so powerful. Yeah, I agree. And, And just the fact that we get to have a personal relationship with the savior of the universe um, is just something that I I feel I often forget. It is so easy for me to forget that. But just to know that we get to come to the Lord, like we have the ability through Jesus to know God. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, I, yeah. I just love that. Yeah. And I love how that kind of puts everything else in perspective. Like that David, I'm looking at my notes here. He then looked at his circumstances through the lens of his faith in the Lord because Mm -hmm. he knew that relationship that he had with God. Yeah. And so then he was able to look at everything else. And I think that's huge. Yes. That perspective shift. (laughs) Yeah. How often do I find myself um, when I'm in fear of other things? Maybe I'm in fear of losing or uh, being in a a stressful state at work, right? Losing my achievements or what people think of me. Um, And when I I lose sight of the Lord, how I catch myself feeling just paralyzed by fear, just crippled by anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I see that in light of 
my salvation yes and my truth which is through jesus and through the lord like how i'm just quickly reminded that these are temporary um when we get eternity with the Lord. And it's, we were talking about this kind of in the break, these idols and how, I know Pastor Will has previously mentioned that that fear comes in and Drew alluded to it today too, when we realize like our idols are shakable. And so we have our trust in these things and then this fear comes up because all of a sudden this thing I was trusting in or this thing that gave me security. Right is now shakeable. It's temporary. Mm-hmm. And that, that shaking reveals these idols. And that's why that fear comes up. And I know right. the times like you, when I yeah. feel so fearful and so yeah. overwhelmed with anxiety, it's really a pause for me to say, okay, Lord, who am I trusting in right now? I'm trusting in myself Ooh, or I'm yes. trusting in this idol right. when I need to be trusting in you. Mm. And it's, and I love that David had that perspective right. in the middle of a cave in the wilderness, <laughs> like running for his life. And I'm like, I can't even have that on a Tuesday. You know? Right. Yes. <laughs> and so it's for me, it's like, how do I continually remind myself of that and one of the questions Drew gave for us today to ponder is like how can we gaze at the Lord and I think that's the key to that perspective shift Mm -hmm. is keeping our gaze at the Lord and focusing on him keeping him in his proper place oh yes are there things that you do to like remind yourself of the gospel man yes things that I do not or I I find myself not doing enough, right? Where I'm like, this is where I find my peace. Um, When I am able just to sit Mm. in silence and just being reminded of the gospel or or meditating on scripture, I find myself just feeling just surrounded in the best way, right? Yeah. Um, whether he said, my, my mother and my father have turned against me, mm-hmm. but Lord, you are, you are still my strength. Yes. Um, and so when I just take time and I'm not distracted and I'm not filling the void with, the with other idols, right? <laughs> like I'm sitting in silence and I'm able just to um, kind of guard my thoughts and guard my heart, then that's when I feel that I can keep my gaze on the Lord. Yeah. What about you? I was thinking too, like being able to sit in scripture and really meditate on it. Yes. And then I was thinking how like throughout the day, if I could just remind myself of maybe characteristics of the Lord and just focusing on his goodness or his kindness or his faithfulness and calling those things to mind really causes my Mm. attention upward instead of on my circumstances, like reminding myself of the characteristics of this God of the universe who actually I can personally know. Right. Like, and who's with me every step of the way. Oh, yes. And I love that. Because there are so many things fighting for our attention. Like, the things that keep, I think the other question is what keeps our gaze, like, on, from looking at the Lord. Like, what keeps <laughs> us from gazing at the beauty of the Lord? And it's everything around us, right? Like, all the other things that could distract <laughs> mm-hmm. us instead of actually, like, spending time with the Lord. Right. Yeah. Man. Um my friend Amber, who's discipling me right now, and we've just had such a, a sweet time going through DNA and, and uh, getting involved in that. Yeah. But she gave me this uh, worksheet that we had, and it it had said, like, this is who you are because this is who the Lord says you mm. are. And so sometimes when I'm having days where I think that I'm sufficient, right, yes. on my own, those are the days I need it the most. <laughs> I need it every day, but those are the days where I have a picture of it on my phone, and I'm mm. I'm. I'm like, okay, read this sister. Like you need yes. to remember who you are, not because of what the world tells you not because of what you tell you. Cause those are all lies. Yes. But here's the truth. Absolutely. You are chosen. You are, you are forgiven. You are, um, you're surrounded by grace, mm-hmm. things like that, that man, I don't know I that, that that helps me to remind myself and keep my gaze That's on so the good. Lord. And there was something Drew said too, um, about how he is so personal, you know, mm. like you said, like, those things that we know about God, he invites us to know him. Like he said that passage in that Psalm where it says, um, the Lord invites him to seek his face. And he says, your face, Lord, do I seek that? That was an invitation of grace. Like God saying, I want you to know me and I want you to have this relationship with me. And I Mm. think maybe that for some of you is what's keeping you from putting your gaze on the Lord is that you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, you clearly heard the gospel today Mm -hmm. as Drew walked through the perfect life, the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus and what he did on your behalf and how he extends that invitation of grace to you. And so today, if that's you and you're saying, I I don't know Jesus personally, or I've never heard about this before. It's the first time I've heard this. We want to walk with you in that. And we want you to know that God invites you that invitation of grace to know him and to walk with him and to be loved by him. And so today, if that's you, we would love to walk with you through that. And so there's a response card, like a QR code above Caitlin's head. You can pull out your phone. 
phone, hold your camera up, a link pops up, and you can let us know about that. Right. We would love to get in touch with you. Or tell Stephen, he's mm-hmm. right over here. He would love to chat with you about that and pray with you right. for that decision because that's the best decision that you'll ever make. Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. Yeah. And prayer requests too. Um, if yes. there's something that you want us to pray over, our prayer team, you know, I know they'd be glad to do so. Yes. So. And I loved yeah. too, another thing that stood out to me was um, the John 1, 14. Oh man, the yes. Verse. Do you mm-hmm. have that verse? Um, yes. I can talk about it um, while you're reading it, but it stuck out to me that David had this incredible perspective where instead of looking at his circumstances first, he looked upward. He looked at that vertical relationship and allowed that filter to fuel how he saw things. And then First John 1, 14, um, talking about how the Lord came, like he came and he was near to us. I think it says, um, I'll read it while you're okay, looking for Okay, thank you it. so yeah. much. Um, I, threw, I threw that at you. Um, and it may be on the screen, but it's the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like he tabernacled yes. among us. And I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. Like David knew in part the tabernacle, right? And yet we know we're on the back end. We get to see fully what the Lord has done and that yeah. he came, took on flesh and dwelt with us. And that, yeah. I loved how he made that tie in. I just mm-hmm. thought that was so, so yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. And we have seen his glory Yes, and how much, you know, we will continue to see his mm-hmm. glory when we gaze upon him. So yes. it's so sweet. And yeah. I love that he said, nothing is more sure or satisfying than gazing yeah. at the beauty of Christ and just reorienting daily our perspective mm-hmm. on instead of all these temporary things, how can we continue to look at the Lord and allow that to give us that eternal perspective? Mm -hmm. So, so good. And so for you today, um, encourage one another as you're gathering together and as you're talking through these questions. Um, We all have things that we need to confess. That's right. all have these areas Mm -hmm. where we have these false idols that we've put on the throne or these things that if this gets shaken, my whole world is going to fall apart. Right. And that we need to call that out. Right. We need to confess that sin. And and pray that the Lord reveals your idols to you. I know that that's something that um, Amber and I are praying through mm-hmm. um, is uh, I, it's so easy to say, well, I don't, you think of an idol as, you know, maybe like a gold, a gold cap, right? right? No, it's, <laughs> it's not like that. It's anything that sits on the throne of your heart that is mm-hmm. not Jesus Christ. And so being able to say, Lord, my achievements, my accomplishments, accomplishments, my relationships that are, um, finding their place more important Mm. than the relationship I have with Jesus Christ. Lord, just reveal those to me. And and Lord, just, um, let me just remove those from that throne. And I just pray that that's your prayer as well. I know that will be my prayer for me, for you, for Steven. So, and as we do that, like walking in community, then we're able to encourage one another, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, how are you daily remembering to Mm -hmm. take that thing off the throne and give God his rightful place? Sometimes it's hourly, you know? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And being able to encourage one another. So for you today, as you're gathered together, our prayer for you is that you have these good discussions and that you're able to be open and honest Mm -hmm. and vulnerable about what the Lord is doing. And if you're not, um, gathering with anyone that's okay we would encourage you maybe as you feel comfortable to do that so yeah. that you have people to talk to, to, about these things with right. maybe it's just people in your home it's mm-hmm. just so important there's so much to process we don't want yes. you to keep it to yourself and then yeah. if you're local and you're able to come join us we would love to see you at our east memphis campus or our Collierville campus at 9 or 11 a.m yes. on a sunday we're always here so we'd love to see you then too but otherwise we have church at home every sunday right here at 10 a.m 10 a.m and we it is our that's joy right. and our privilege to do this that's alongside right. you guys yeah so yeah. but Yes, we hope you have a great rest of your week and a wonderful Sunday, and we will see you all next week. See you next week.